welcome to this episode of Want to Hear Something Interesting, a podcast where your hosts Scott Ahern and Chad Knight discuss a topic using research and personal opinion. The topics will be wide and varied, but approached with the researcher's eye. Will everything we say be 100% accurate? Probably not, but we are striving to be as accurate as we can be. Every month on the 1st, a new topic will come your way. Occasionally, though not usually, there may be some language of the adult variety. Listener, be warned. Now, here are your hosts, Scott and Chad. Hello, and welcome to Want to Hear Something Interesting, episode 17. I'm Scott Ahern, and with me, as always, is my good friend Chad Knight. Hey, everyone. And today we are joined by two special guests who have a vested interest in our topic. So, as we do every beginning of the year, we're going to embarrass the crap out of them by making them introduce themselves. So say hello to our listeners, ladies. Hi, I'm Emma. I'm Molly. And they both are my progeny, so... I figured I'd let them decide whether or not they wanted to admit to that. <laughs> they don't get a choice. <laughs> not sure I'd want to. Oh! <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. So, Emma has just completed her freshman year of college, and as you can tell from Molly not worrying about tuition not being paid, <laughs> uh, she's about to finish her junior year. So... Uh, if what we are about to discuss comes to pass, however, that would not be the case. Appropriately enough, since we are coming to the end of yet another school year and the start of summer vacation, we're going to talk about year-round school. Yuck! Now, Chad, let's at least try to appear impartial. Like most everything else, there are pros and cons to this topic. I know. I was just channeling all the students listening who are about to turn us off and protest. Just because we're talking about this doesn't mean we support it or saying we should do it. I like my summer vacations. I enjoy the break, too. And as our listeners know, I'm a high school teacher, so I'm right in the middle of this. But I have been looking at the research for quite a while. But before we start arguing, why don't we ask our special guests what they think, since they are still students. So, Emma, what do you think of the whole idea of year-round school, with what you know about it? Okay, I mean... I don't know that much about it, but, like, I feel like it's not... It could be good or it could be bad. I think it depends on, like, the students in particular. You know, some people might do better having that break, um, and some people, like, might not. Like, because I know a lot of people kind of forget things or, like, slack off during the summer or whatever, which is, like, totally fine. But there are also people who might need that break for, like, just, like, to recharge or whatever. So I guess it could go either way. Molly, what about you? I also think it could go either way, depending on the student and the school. Okay, let's let's look at it this way then. For you personally, Emma, good or bad? I like having summer break. I don't necessarily need it, but I like it, so I think it's good for me. So you're kind of against year on school if it was you? I mean, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't, be, be very well, decisive. I don't have a strong opinion about it, because I feel like if I would have grown up with your own school, I wouldn't have an issue with it, you know? But I do like having the break in there, because you can, you know, work if you need to, or just take the time. You don't have to be somewhere all the time. You don't have to look outside the school windows and be like, oh, I wish I was outside instead, you know? Okay. So. Molly? Now, this is just you personally, not as a whole. I like working during the summer, but also as an introvert, I think I would really like having more breaks during the school year. 
for that that little space of extra time that you get. Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna blow your guys' minds a little bit. <laughs> Whether it's school like you do now, which is ten months a year, mm-hmm. and you go to school for 180 days. Mm-hmm. On year-round school, you still go to school for 180 days. Right. Now there's a few different versions of year-round school. And the article I'm looking at is from the NEA. It is called Research Spotlight on Year-Round Education. NEA reviews the research on best practice in education. So, like I said, most schools operate on that 10-month-a-year schooling. So you go from September or late August, early September, until late May, early June. Now, with year-round school, there's three different styles of ways they do it. The first one's called the 4515 plan. And that's where you go to school for 45 days, and then you have, well, basically three weeks off, 15 days. Now, when we talk 45, 15, we're talking school days, not weekends. Uh, There's also the 60, 20 plan. Mm -hmm. So you go to school for two months, and you get four weeks off. Or the 90, 30 plan, which is more of a trimester plan, really. Kind of. Basically, like right now, most high schools and colleges are on a semester system, which is would, would be 90 days. It would just be that you'd have a larger break in between right. first and second semester. Right. So now looking at it that way, of those three, now actually let's take a step back here. So right now you guys, Emma, you just started summer break. Molly, you're going to start summer break in three weeks or so? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Now over the three months that you have off, do you get soggy brain? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it when you come back to school, are you now is it hard to get back in the mode of remembering what you learned before? See, I'm kind of weird and I like school usually, so I get excited. I get about at least in the past, it's been like the first two months of summer are like super nice, but then I just want to go back to school because I like having the schedule and I just like learning, I guess. So, like, I get excited to go back to school, so when school finally starts again, I'm like, oh, yeah. do you Do you do any sort of studying or anything over the summer that keeps you in school mode, though? Not really. I try to read, but not anything super big. Maybe I'll sit on Duolingo on German for a little bit or something, but not really. Okay. And that is actually something that I wanted to ask you about. Now, you studied German in high school, and... I know from my experience with languages, when I don't have a chance to use them, the skill atrophies, it, it kind of goes mm-hmm. away. In general, teachers refer to what happens over the summer as the summer slide. And we see it in pretty much every subject, but it's most prominent in foreign language and math. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't that much of a, a math student in high school, but Growing up in Boston, my school district had summer school enrichment programs that pretty much every summer I was in. So I was kind of in year-round extended school where I had the 180-day school year, but then I also had six weeks of extra school during the summer to make sure Mm -hmm. that I didn't hit that slide. When you were in high school, when you came back in September, did you find that it took you a little while to get back into the language mode? I I would say so, probably. It wasn't terrible, because, like, a lot of my friends were also in German, so over the summer we do a little bit of speaking, so I don't forget everything. But I think especially the first couple years of German, when I was still learning all of the basics, especially then I think it was a little bit harder. 
to get back into it. But, like, I took German both semesters of college so far, too. So, like, yeah, I guess there was a little bit of, like, remembering that I had to do. So, yeah. What about you, Molly? Summer slide? Um, Is it real? (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it's real for some people. I really don't have problems with remembering stuff. I do have quite the problem getting back into focusing long enough to go back to school, though. Okay, well, I suppose that could be a side effect of the summer slide. The Just the inability to focus long enough to, you know, sit in an hour class or whatever it is. Right. And be focused for that long. But I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to remember back to when I was in school. And I did college in such a funky way, it's not really a good platform for me. Mm-hmm. But in high school, I remember... Coming back in that first month was really kind of just relearning everything. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, we had the girls. They did summer school, you know, but it was more of a fun summer school, but it was academically based. But they did that when they were in grade school quite a bit. But once they hit high school, they're like, no. <laughs> I think that's because, at least partially, because when we moved to Everest, you had to take at least one, like, academic summer school class if you are going to do summer school, and you didn't have to do that in Wausau. So I think that was part of it, definitely. Yeah, quite possibly. Because I, I think I might have at least continued a little bit longer if it was just, like, piano and foreign language, like I was doing at Wasa or whatever. Right, because I remember in grade school especially, Emma was always like, ooh, what language are they doing this summer? And it didn't really matter what language it was. She wanted to play with it. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, she's been doing German now for seven, seven years. Yeah. And it's, you know... Her and her sister, because Molly took German for a few years, too. Sometimes they'll sit there and talk in German, or at least partial German. Germlish. Germlish, yeah. <laughs> Doinglish, as we like to call it. Ah, yes. Doinglish? It's technically Deutsch Danglish. Danglish. Oh. It's technically Danglish, but we like to say Doinglish. Okay. <laughs> so, Just because it sounds a little irritated. <laughs> yeah. But that's when Nikki and I start wondering if they're plotting our you know, ultimate demise. Now, see, that's why Tina won't let me teach Penny Spanish. Really? She's concerned that we'll be talking about her in front of her, behind her back. Well, maybe she should learn Spanish. Yeah, That's yeah. what I say. She <laughs> says, no, we should just stick with English. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in this article, it talks about the different types and how there are some school systems in America already that do an all-year school program. I think it's in about seven different states there's the availability to do it. Wisconsin is not one of them. But some of the arguments for year-round school... So students tend to forget a lot during the summer breaks, which we were just talking about. So a shorter time away from school might increase retention rates. It's more efficient uh, use of school space because otherwise buildings are unoccupied during the summer. And remediation can occur when it's most needed. And that's, you know, during the school year. Now, some critics of the year-round education contend Band and other extracurricular programs suffer from problems with scheduling, out-of-school practices, and competitions. If an entire district does not adopt a year-round calendar, parents could have students at different schools at different schedules. And, of course, studies have been inconclusive to the academic benefits. And that's one of the big things that, for me, I find as a sticking point for this. It doesn't seem to matter if they're in school for 45 days and off for three weeks. The majority of children are not going to do anything in those weeks, and there's going to be slide regardless if it's three weeks or three months. Yes, but the <clears throat> it it's kind of to 
dig back into math, which, as I mentioned before, I'm not very good at, so forgive me if I get the terminology wrong. But it's kind of an exponential slide. So, the, for example, you go to school Monday through Friday. Saturday, you start to have a little slide. Sunday, you have a little more slide. And I know I see this because when students come back, even from just a three-day weekend, part of it is kind of what Molly said, the focus thing. You get out of school mode, and it's a little harder to get back in. With the, say, for example, you have the 45-15, where you're nine weeks on, three weeks off. You start to slide, and you start to lose the focus, but you don't get as far into the out-of-school mode as you would over a three-month span. So you have, you're coming back after a shorter time, so you've only gone X number of ways down the, the slide path. Well, but from what I was reading, it they, they really haven't shown that there's academic benefits to it. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a three-week slide or a three-month slide. There's still a slide, and it still affects academics. Right, but it, it depends on... Part of it depends on which studies you look at. Mm -hmm. Because when I was going through uh, some of my research, I, I looked into a few studies that Education Week did. And I have another article from NEA Today, which is the newsletter put out by the National Education Association. Okay. And there was one, what they call a meta-study, which is basically a study looking at a whole bunch of other studies. And one of those meta-studies found inconclusive results. But another one of those meta-studies found positive results that... If you look at the amount of time it took to get back up to speed, like say, say for example, you have the, the three-month slide. Okay. Uh, now, anecdotally, from my personal experience, it takes about four to six weeks to get the kids back up to speed. So if we go at the, the six-week, it's taking us half as much time for getting them back up to speed as they had on a break. Whereas with the three-week slide, it only takes about a week to get them back up to speed. So instead of being half the time, it's a third of the time. Okay. So it, it becomes, it's kind of a difference of degree rather than difference of type. Okay. So it, it's so a more efficient. Now as a teacher, you work in a, in a system that goes to school for 10 months, yep. takes two to three months off. Now... Do you, when you're putting your plan together for next year, do you figure in six weeks of last year's stuff to teach them this year? It depends on what classes I'm teaching. When I was teaching foreign language, absolutely. Actually, when I was teaching foreign language, I factored in eight weeks of remediation. Okay. So now when I'm teaching, say, for example, sophomore English, I build in throughout the year remediation on some of the core material like methods of writing methods of proofreading things like that but because we're not teaching the same material we're not teaching the same books we're not teaching the same plays we do similar things in that like you have research or you have rhetoric things like that and so i go over what they learned freshman year and then build on it Okay. 
And then with some of my literature classes, they only take it for a semester and it's all brand new material to them. So the only thing I need to work on remediating for them is techniques of reading, how to read critically. Okay. Emma, yeah. have you noticed with your classes, like you took six years of German within the D.C. Ever School District. Mm -hmm. Did, when you came back each year, did they go over stuff from the year before? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I had the same teacher for five of those six years. Right. So she knew what she had taught us before. Um, and yeah, there was definitely a period where we went over stuff from last year, or if we started something that we'd already done, we'd kind of go over it before we went into to something harder. Like if it was something that had to do with something we had already done, we would go over that for a day or two and then go into the harder stuff. Okay. So like, definitely. And I think if we didn't, it would be harder. What, what about you, Molly? Do you see that in your classes where teachers start the year off? Kind of refreshing what you did last year? Um, besides the German, which I didn't take this year. But besides that, I think because most class years, like, the subject is different. Like, when you go in history, you go, like, European history and then American history and then world history or whatever you choose to do with it. Mm -hmm. I think that the only one that I really noticed it in very much is math. Because, I mean... So, your no, math teacher will math go teacher over... My math teacher does, but I don't think I've really noticed a history teacher or a science teacher that does it because the subjects are completely different. Right, and most slide, I think, is seen in math and, and foreign languages. Right, and to a certain extent, reading. If you have a student who isn't a really strong reader and doesn't read for pleasure then chances are they're not going to pick up a book all summer unless they have to. And even then it's going to be, oh, school starts in two weeks. I have these books I have to read to write a book report on. I better read them. Right. Yeah, and I've even noticed that with my girls. They will read for pleasure, but if they have something for school to read, it doesn't happen until last minute. Is there a reason for that? I've never liked being told what to read. Like, I just, I've never liked being told what to read so I think it just has to do with that I'm like I don't want to do it also if I did it in the middle of the summer I would definitely forget I don't hold on to book information as well as I might necessarily need to sit in class you know like I can't if I if I did it if I read it in the beginning of July and then in September my teacher was like hey what'd you think of this book I'd be like I don't I don't know. <laughs> like. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Yeah. When you read something for pleasure, is uh -huh. it different? What do you mean? like? So let's say you're going to read Harry Potter. Right. But your teacher tells you you have to read, and I, and I don't know, but let's say Twilight. Uh -huh. You have to read Twilight for one of your English classes. All right. Do, do you read in different ways between pleasure and school? Yeah, I think so. Well, like, if I... Because I know for a fact that you and I could sit here and talk about Harry Potter right, right. now. For sure. I've read Harry Potter multiple times, though. But, yes, you're right. Um, I think if I'm reading for fun, I will do, like, you know, I'll just read for hours. I can finish a book in a day kind of thing. But if I don't like the book, or if, like, yeah, like, if I don't like the book, I it takes more work for me to read because I'm not as immersed into it. And it happens sometimes that the books that we have to read for class, I just don't like. They're not, like, what I would read. But, like, for instance, I was in a pop lit class last year, um, mm -hmm. second semester, 
and we had to read Agatha Christie's and then there were none. And that book, I zoomed through it. I read it. I was like done way before we were supposed to be. And so in class every day, I'd just be like, I don't know what happened. But like, I really liked that book. Okay. So I guess it depends on if I like the book or not more than if I'm being told to read it or not. Okay. What about you, Molly? Do you read differently for school than you do for pleasure? Absolutely. I think there are probably two books since middle school that I've read because my teacher told me to. So I fake the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> now I knew this. It's not new. She's not giving me new information here. No. But why? Um, I really don't like classics, which I know is going to get me murdered by some um, English majors over here. <laughs> but actually, um, I don't know how big are you into classics, Scott. Me? Yeah. Um, well, classics are classics for several reasons, but... Because our teachers told us they are. That, that's actually <laughs> part, part of it. Of it. Yeah. It's because enough people in positions of power over the years have read them and decided that everybody else should read them. Now, I'm a firm believer that everybody, by the time they finish high school, should have been exposed to at least one Shakespeare play. Okay. Just because Shakespeare is so prevalent in Western society that if you aren't at least barely familiar with it, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage to the rest of the world. Now, I'm not saying that you have to read one every year and you have to get up on stage and perform them. That's just me, because I'm weird that way. <laughs> but I, I do think that... You need to be at least familiar with certain pieces of literature simply because they're so prevalent in society or society as a whole considers them so important. I also admit that society as a whole considers them so important because all through the years they've been told by their English teachers that they're important. Right. Now what I look for, so I'm going to keep cutting you off. That's fine. One thing I look for, especially because one of the lit classes I teach is for struggling or reluctant readers. And so my biggest thing is, and I tell them, find something you like. I had one student, didn't like to read. He brought me this book. It was basically a field guide written by a local Wisconsin naturalist. And he was absolutely convinced that I wasn't going to let him read it for an assignment. And I said, if that's the book you want to read and you can tell me about these questions, then go for it. And he's like, really? I said, yeah, the whole point of this assignment is for you to find something you like. And he's like, okay. And then the whole rest of the semester, every week he came up to me before class and said, okay, so I got through this part. And he was animated about the book. He loved the book. He did this phenomenal project on it that he got an A on. And then he started looking into other books like that. Now, I didn't turn him into a reader like me, but I, I guess in a way I kind of gave him approval or permission to read stuff that he liked, even though it wasn't what might be considered the classic literature style or things like that. Okay. So off the top of your head as an English teacher, what are some of the classics? I mean, there's Herman Melville's Moby, Moby Dick. Dick. There's Thomas Hardy's Tess of the Durbervilles. Any of the Shakespeare's, To Kill a Mockingbird, although Ghost at a Watchman kind of fell short for me. 
Let's see, Catcher in the Rye. Uh, a lot of times, some of the ones that I think people should read tend to top the banned books list. <laughs> um, pe- people get their um, knickers in a twist about some of the things. Now I know we did an episode on banned books for my uh, one, uh, for my um, whose podcast? Whose is it podcast anyway? is it anyway? Now are there what are now considered American classics that were once banned? Like To Kill a Mockingbird, Catcher in the Rye, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five. That is a great book. (laughs) The entire Harry Potter series. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible. Um, There's there's a couple of Well, I think the Bible comes down to to separation of church and state. Well, even looking at it as literature. um, There are some districts that are actively fighting against the American Heritage Dictionary. Okay, that one you need to explain to me. I'm sorry. Because it has profanity in it. The American language has profanity in it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some people are opposed to National Geographic because they They've used got to nude have women on the front. Nude women. Yeah. In it. Actually, that reminds me. My latest National Geographic just came covered in a white folder. Oh, yeah, in paper. Yeah, and I haven't opened it yet, but maybe there's naked women on the front. I shouldn't look at it. Mm-hmm. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me check. Although. Uh, side note along that. Now, you know I'm from Boston. Yep. And a lot of people, especially in today's political climate, consider Boston to be one of the bastions of the liberal left. Mm-hmm. It would su- probably surprise you that up until about the 60s, Boston was one of the most buttoned-down conservative cities in the country. Yeah, it wasn't until the Kennedys got there. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, there was actually a city official who was in charge of censorship. And... He, if you wanted to show a particular movie or open a bookstore, you had to get a permit from this guy. And he would come in and he'd check your inventory and everything and decide whether or not you were peddling smut, as he put it. And it, it's kind of a, a racist piece to it, but this one theater wanted to put on a production of African tribal dances. Okay. Because the women were performing topless because that was the traditional dress. And when they went to him to try to get the permit, they figured he'd say, okay, but they got to wear a top or blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And when reporters asked him about it afterwards, because he wouldn't allow the swimsuit edition to be sold from Sports Illustrated. Okay. But he gave a permit for topless dancers in a major theater. He said, well, they're African. I figured it was their culture. Wow. Yeah. Talk about racist. I know. <laughs> you know, and okay, that that let, let's let's bring it back around to your round school. <laughs> We're kind of getting off topic here, which of course is everybody who listens to us knows that never happens. Well, of course not. At least not every five minutes. Right. <laughs> so, what? Give us an example, Molly, of a book that teachers told you to read that you're just like, I'm not doing it. I hated Animal Farm. Oh, I didn't like Animal Farm that much either. Okay. So what is it? I've never read Animal Farm. It's a book about some animals on a farm. And then, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, I could have figured that much out. Um, It's like this weird hierarchy of animals on the farm. And then the teachers go back and say it's about Russian people and societies and, dude, they're just animals. It's an it's allegory for communism. Yeah, it literally I is. I know that it is, but, like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on a second. 
Okay, so it's about communists. All right, yes. great. I, I guess I've never read it. Maybe I should read it so I know what they're talking about. But it's boring. Well, there's a lot of books out there that are boring. I sit and I'm I'm currently reading a manual of game creatures and and bad guys. It's boring sometimes. But at the same time, it's a lot of fun because I'm a gamer. But if I read about all these creatures, you'd be like, no. Yeah. Well, but that's coming from the same guy who sat down and read the Bible front to back for fun. So. Well, I didn't do it for fun. <laughs> that's a whole different story. But I have read the Bible. And there are parts of the Bible that are really dry. But the Old Testament is nothing but murder and, and war and chaos. Exactly. So, the good old days. <laughs> it's, it's honestly it's not, not until the new testament that the bible tends to get kind of boring up until i mean what about deuteronomy <laughs> <laughs> is that the one with all the, the like the, yeah, they the, just begot, begot, the begot, begot. yeah 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 there are there are some in the old testament <laughs> that are boring too but you get into the new testament and it's all kind of boring until you hit the gospels and that's the life of jesus and then well revelations is kind of fun but yeah, there's a there, you're right. There's a lot of dry reading in the Bible, and it, and really depending on which version of it you read, because if you read one of the like King James versions or one of those older versions, the these and the thous and the oh my goodness, you guys have no idea. <laughs> you know, it, I did weird things as a kid too, and I I'm guessing Scott probably did this too. Sat down and read the dictionary. Oh, I yes. did that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. I never did that. <laughs> But, you know, that's just the kind of kid I was. And, and I would love to read a lot more than I do now for pleasure. But between work and, you know, a couple podcasts and everything else, there isn't a whole lot of time left for nope. <laughs> for pleasure reading. But uh, And my pleasure reading tends to be for gaming, which is what I do for fun when I'm not doing work. Yep. But, so you're around school. What I mean, like you said, Emma, at one point you said that if I'd grown up with it, I'd probably be okay with it. Mm-hmm. What if all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you go to Eau Claire next year and they're like, well, we're, we're changing the way we do things? Okay, well, first of all, I'd be like, when am I going to have a full-time job? Because full-time job and school sounds like a lot of work. And obviously, I could do it, but like, it's... A lot of people have done it. Right, exactly. But it's a lot. And I like don't want to if I don't have to. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't, if they did that, I wouldn't have time to get a full-time job in the summer. To, like, save up for the next year and then have a part-time job during school or whatever, you know? Also, I'd be like, this is a college. What the heck's going on here? But, but, I don't know. I probably wouldn't be thrilled because that's a big change to make right away, you Mm -hmm. know? And actually, you're, you're right. And maybe... Molly, it's more pertinent for you. What if you went back to school this fall in August and they said, well, we're going to this year-round school thing and now you're in school from August to August and then you start school in September. Okay. For college. I think I would actually be okay with that. Okay. I am kind of at the point of being a high schooler that I don't care anymore. Senior slump. Senior itis. Yeah, and I'm so close to being a senior, and all my AP classes for this year are over. So I just, I don't care anymore. Like they could change almost (laughs) anything in this school, and I'd be like, I really don't care. And but I mean, at the same time, I like, I don't think there's anything wrong with year-round schooling. Okay. I think there are problems with it. There's problems with anything, but like, I don't. 
think it's like if his teacher's just gonna be like, okay, so we're gonna do year round schooling, I'd be like, cool, do it, whatever. <laughs> All right, Scott, I know you did some research. Let's let's hear a little bit of what you've done as far as research. All right, so. And most of the research is on the pros and cons, and some of them you've already brought up. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I thought was interesting was, now, as of the 2011-2012 school year, which is the latest for which we have all the data together, Okay. Um, there are about 3,700 schools in the U.S. that are operating on the year-round. And only 400 of them are charter schools. See, okay. I was expecting a much higher percentage to be charter schools, mm -hmm. just because of the greater ease which charter schools have with manipulating things like that. Right. So, and now from uh, 1986 was kind of when they started looking at this stuff. There were only 400 schools on a year-round schedule. So that's okay. 3,300 in... 25 years increase of going to your own school. Now, for me, I look at it as we're still getting the same amount of instructional time. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. One of the things that some of the districts do, uh, is, and usually they do the 45-15 method that you were talking about, and they do what's called multi-tracking. And a lot of times, this is for school districts that have overpopulation issues, that they don't have enough resources and facilities to do a traditional school year for the entire student population. So what they do is they break the student body into four groups, and then they have them on an offset rotation. So that every 15 days, three of the groups are in school, and the fourth group is on their break. So that way, it reduces the strain on the facilities by 25%. Right. Which is nice because one of the things that's usually initially affected by overcrowding is class size. I've had some of my classes have been in the mid-30s. And where it gets to be a real issue is when you're in a room that's packed full of 30 desks with 36 students. And there's simply no space to put another desk. So, on the plus side, students aren't late to class because they know if they're late to class, they're standing all period or sitting on the floor. But if you're standing all period or sitting on the floor, you're not really paying as much attention to what's going on. And then for me, I like to move around the room as I teach so that I'm not just standing up in front of the class lecturing. But in a crowded space like that, there's no room to move. By default, I'm almost stuck standing up in one spot lecturing. Is it, is it harder as a teacher to – is there a difference between a class of 15 and a class of 30? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, other I than workload – I don't think you'd find a single teacher who would disagree with that. Okay, but I'm, I'm talking other than your personal workload because obviously instead of grading 15 tests, you're grading 30, or 15 papers, you're grading 30. But is it harder to disseminate information to a larger group? Yes, for a couple of reasons. One is – that the larger the class size, the easier it is for the introverted students to hide. And then they don't, they don't participate. And they may be engaged students. They're just shy. They don't like talking. But then you might also have students who aren't getting it but don't feel comfortable drawing attention to the fact that they don't get it. 
because they don't want to embarrass themselves in front of all their friends. If you've only got 15 students in the class, that's only 14 people who are going to see you raise your hand and say you have a question, as opposed to 29 in a class of 30. Okay. So also, with the smaller class size, I can make contact during the class more frequently and either do it repeatedly for small periods just to check in, or I can sit down with a student or a couple of students at a time for more extended intervention, especially if they're struggling with something. Uh, say, for example, we're in the process of writing a research paper. If I'm trying to check in with 30 students in a single 50-minute class period, that gives me a minute 40 seconds per student. Whereas if it's 15, that's twice as much time. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was just curious because as a not teacher, you know, or what teaching I have done is completely different than what you do. To me, it, does, it didn't matter in my class if it was 10 kids or 40 kids. And when I, when I was teaching religion, I did have classes like that, you know. And I found, but then I'm not really putting together what I'm teaching either. I'm just kind of being like, here, regurgitate this. You know, and I know that half the kids aren't listening anyway. So I guess it's it, it's a different a different um, setting than what right. you teach in. So I was just kind of curious about that. But go on with your with your info. Okay. So the multi tracking is one thing that a lot of schools have adopted because of resources. Now the the pros to it are some of the things we already talked about. That it uh, reduces the strain on the district. It allows for smaller class sizes. It's actually nicer for some of the support staff because then they're employed year-round. And now, for example, as a teacher, I'm salaried, and I have some districts offer the option of, do you want to be paid during the school year or do you want to be paid over a 12-month period? I choose the 12-month period because then I don't have to worry about saving a chunk of each check out because I'm not getting a check for three months out of it. Right, right. For a lot of the support personnel, cafeteria staff, bus drivers, uh, educational assistants, they're hourly. When school's not in session, they're not making any money. And another advantage to it is for parents of special needs students. For a lot of the parents, the public school system really helps them out financially because their child is taken care of for free to them. I mean... They work, they pay taxes into the common pool. Right. But when school's not in session, they either have to take their vacation time over the summer to care for the child or pay for what can be very expensive child care, especially if you have a, a student with a severe physical limitation. Having year-round school offsets that somewhat. Now, again, they're still in school the same number of days, but by having it broken up, that way, it makes it a little easier to balance as opposed to having to come up with all of that child care money over the summer, whereas you come up with a little bit of it in November, you come up with a little bit of it in February, come up with a little bit of it in June. And that's a good point. You know, as parents of just, you know, normal kids, that's the same issue. Well, normal's a touchy word. Okay. So as the parent of my girls, you know, trying to pay for a babysitter three months, five days a week, it was hard. Yes. Doing it on a smaller basis might have been nice. 
I, I can definitely see that. What about you girls? What What do you think of all the stuff Scott was just talking about? Like the rotation oh. split, where, see, now that might impact you guys from a friend standpoint. Yeah. Because your friends could yeah. be on a different yeah, rotation. Yeah, on a different rotation, that would be hard. That's the first thing I thought of, actually. Uh-huh. That's the first thing I thought of, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually one of the, the things they looked at, because not just with friends, but now you two are only two years apart. Yeah. My girls are seven years apart. Right. So by the time my youngest daughter gets to elementary school, my older daughter will be in junior high. If the district isn't on the same type of schedule, like say they don't do year-round for the elementary, but they do it for the junior high and high school, that can create havoc for families. Mm -hmm. Or if you have larger families, and even if the entire district is on the multi-track, but the kids aren't all on the same track, yeah. That can be horrible for the family. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I could see that as well as a big con. You know, I I've looked into year-round school a few times when the kids were younger and stuff like that and I always came back to that whole the cons seem to outweigh the pros for me, you know, for our family. But as a teacher, would you like to see the year-round schooling? Yes, I would, definitely. And it, largely it's because of the summer slide but also end-of-semester burnout. Right now, we have, in the fall, it's not too bad. My district uh, tries to schedule at least one in-service day a month so that the students get a a little break here and there. And we usually do it on either a Friday or Monday, so families have a three-day weekend. Uh And then we have, there's a couple of days in November. Uh, We have a full day off for parent-teacher conferences, and then we have Thanksgiving break. There's quite a bit of time in December, the beginning of January, and then we have spring break. One thing that we've noticed and that we're trying to figure out a way to address is in first semester, which usually runs beginning of September to mid-January, we have multiple breaks built in, so it's not too bad. And there's always the possibility here in Wisconsin of snow days. Right. Into April this year. Yes. (laughs) Now, second semester starts off the end of January. And it's with third quarter because each semester is broken into two quarters. Third quarter, we find, usually runs from the mid-January to the beginning of spring break. And so we end up with essentially nine straight weeks with only the weekends as a break. So 45 straight class days. And by the time you get to spring break, the students and some of the teachers are dropping like flies, both from... Uh, workload, stress of not having a break, getting sick because of the changeable weather, and your immune system being depressed because of the stress you're under. It just, that time of year is dreaded more than any other by teachers and students, just because of the burnout factor. Isn't it a good way to prepare them for real life? I mean, me as a guy who works a year-round job, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday kind of thing, I do that all the time. I go 45 days, 50 days, 60 days with just the weekends. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I don't even get those. Yes. You're in a job where you know that's a possibility, but you also have a certain amount of control over things because you get vacation time, you get sick time. Mm-hmm. When you are working more, you get overtime. Right. And 
generally, now I, I know in your particular position, sometimes you have to bring work home. Mm-hmm. But most nine to five jobs, you walk out the door at the end of the day and you don't have to deal with it until you walk back in the next day. True, true. Whereas students and teachers, maybe half to 60% of what we do occurs during the hours of school. Because now that they look at, okay, uh, my school has an eight-period day. For the teachers, one of the periods is lunch. One of the periods is what they call our prep period. And another is our duty period. In my case, I run a tutoring center. I'm not going to get all of my work done in that 50-minute period, especially when once every 10, I have, at least once every 10, I have a meeting that takes up the entire period. So I bring work home, I do work at night, I do work over the weekends. During the summer, I'm in classes to become a better teacher, to keep up on some of the technology improvements and advances that are coming along in education, things like that. And I know my students are doing work outside of school because that's what homework is, and I assign it, and some of them actually do it and turn it in. So I know they did it. Others, I know they didn't do it because they just come in and tell me, hey, Mr. A, I'm sorry I didn't do it. I had something else going on. See, and I, I've seen that a lot with kids in this generation. My daughters will be like, I, I didn't get to it. I, I didn't, you know, I told my teacher I just didn't get to it. And I'm like, when I was in high school, you lied. You know, the the dog ate my, well, nobody used the dog ate my homework. But, you know, you do something like that. And now kids are just like, hey, listen up. You gave, I had too much. You, I didn't get to it. Yeah, and part of that is we put so much on the kids today as opposed to when you and I were in school. Now, I'm kind of an outlier. I had a part-time job at a very young age. Massachusetts has really lax child labor law, so by the time I was 14, I was working 40 hours a week. When was your first part-time job? I was about 14. Yeah, and how many hours a week did you do at it? Um, Actually, I only worked in the summers. Yeah. I worked, uh, I, I helped a guy who did like lawnscaping and that kind of stuff. My first year-round part-time job, I was probably 15, um, and I'd work 15 to 20 hours a week. And then by the time, you know, I was in college, obviously I worked, well, at one point in college I had three jobs and went to school full-time, and I didn't I didn't make it through school at that point. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, my schooling beyond high school has been so kind of, it's not the traditional way of getting your degree. Yes. So I went to school for but three. You, you kept at it. I did. I went to I went to college for three semesters. The school asked me to leave because of my grades. Yep. I then went back many years later, and I got a degree from the technical school. And my last semester in technical school, I did 21 credits and I worked 30 hours a week. So I didn't really sleep that last. 45 days. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Molly and Emma, how about you guys? Um, I got my first job when I was 16, like right after I turned 16. Um, and it was not, it was like 10 hours a week at the most, to be quite honest. And then I got a second job, and I had like two, like my second semester of senior year. Um, and... I still probably had like 20 or less a week because neither one of them were like a lot of hours. Okay. How many AP classes were you taking? Um, senior year, I had three. I had two, I think, junior year. I always had at least one or two AP classes from freshman year on. 
Okay. Uh, what about other extracurricular activities? Um, I did forensics. Um, I was in musicals. That's pretty much all I had time for. Mm-hmm. Plus, well, I still had to find time to hang out with my friends and everything like that. Yeah. My first job, I was 15. I worked in the summer. And then I got another job that was going to be year-round, and I couldn't handle it. So partway through the school year, I had to quit. Yeah, I mean, but you say it a little. Mine yeah. was more to do with some health problems. Yes, she had health yeah. issues that allowed but, didn't allow her to continue but with the job. At the same time, even when I was working, I always worked Wednesday nights, and there was absolutely no way I was going to get homework done for Thursday. I never had homework in on Thursdays. All my teachers knew it's Thursday. I'm not going to get homework in. Like they knew, and I knew. I just didn't do homework Wednesday nights. I couldn't do it. Yeah. And when I work with some of my students nowadays, going over their college applications, and they're needing to list, okay, I had a job, I volunteered here, I belong to these groups. The demands on our students are so much higher nowadays for getting into something past high school that we're just overworking them we're burning them out like crazy and it's not real and, and you you have to do it because that's what the colleges expect now right it's like if you want to get into an elite school regardless of what state you're in or if you want to go out of state to get into an elite school it's insane what these i mean i don't know how more of these kids that excel to get into these places aren't hooked on some sort of narcotic to keep them going <laughs> a lot of them are yeah well it's not a it's an amphetamine yeah, yeah. They're, they're on a lot of them ha that's where a lot of the issues with misuse of prescription drugs starts to come in dealing with the stress i mean they're either using uh ritalin or some of the adhd medication for focus and then sometimes they take a little too much of it, and then they're getting their parents' pills to come down from it. See, because, like, when I was in high school, we – and I was in theater. So I did my job, I did school, and I did every play that was possible in high yeah. school. And towards the ends of some of those, I mean, you really got into the caffeine. Or once one year we decided that it was uh, ginseng that was going to save us. So somebody would bring a piece of ginseng to school, and we'd all just cut into it and take and stick a yep. piece in our lip, you know. What? <laughs> but that was the—I mean—the hardest thing. <laughs> yeah. And the like, hardest I, thing I did was caffeine. And like now, I have like on Snapchat, I'll like watch people's Snapchat stories, and I'm like, anybody got any Addies? And like when you have a nickname for Adderall. There's a problem, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and I know my girls, they didn't do a lot of the extracurriculars. Emma did forensics and plays. Mm -hmm. You did swimming and soccer at one point. And, and the, the microphone you, doesn't pick up the nodding. <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. the other one? Oh, UNICEF. Now UNICEF, you're part of your UNICEF. Yep. And I did yearbook for a few years. Yeah. So, I mean, they were in these things, but... I think the hardest thing they got into, too, was probably caffeine, right? Yeah, lots of caffeine. God, do you know how much work so it would be coffee. to be a druggie, though? Oh, my God. <laughs> You're right. You have a point. Well, see, it doesn't... We'll, it, we'll do an episode on that. Does Ever still have the Starbucks or the pseudo-Starbucks right in the front door when you walk in? No. It's in the library now. Okay. Yeah. Wait, what? Oh, well, you, yeah, they, they have, have like, coffee They have, the like, three AirPods buy. that you can, like, yeah. just get coffee yeah. out of oh, wow. yeah. but yeah and then they, no, they like, don't have yeah. like a they don't have like a stand have, or anything no. but they have they like you to. can go talk to the scary library when my brother-in-law was still yeah. there 
you walked in those main doors. You got the office to uh-huh. your left, uh-huh. and then the stairs down to the cafeteria oh, on your yeah. right. There's and right there at the now. landing was the coffee shop. Oh, yeah, that's a credit union Why couldn't it have been coffee? That's so annoying. They should have had the coffee there with right. the credit union in, ATM in the right next to it. Right. Yes. Well, the ATM wasn't even in the little credit the union. The ATM is like over by the concession stand in front of yeah. the gym. It makes no sense. Well, actually, because well, that's where you need the money when yeah. you go to the concession stand. Right. True. Right. They don't want but you yeah. to have to walk too far because you might not. You might decide it's not worth it anymore. Right. Right. So I think this is probably a good place to start winding down. Let's start talking about individually. If you're for or against year-round school and why, not not in the long explanation like we've all kind of done, but just kind of, uh, you know, for it, against it, and a quick explanation of why. Scott, let's start with you. Okay. I'm for it. Um, biggest reasons are uh, flexibility for the district and less summer slide. Okay. Emma? I think overall, overall, I mean... I don't have a huge, like, super strong opinion, but I guess I would say against for me specifically because I like to have that summer off, and I just, I like having a schedule that I'm used to, <laughs> so. Okay. Molly? I'm totally for it. I would love to have longer breaks in the middle of the year, and I, don't know, I think it would just be a lot easier for everybody. Okay. And like I said, overall, I think the cons outweigh the pros. <laughs> But as it develops and becomes more of a thing, I think my views may change. But currently, I am against the idea of a year-round school. But that's just me at this point. So with that, um, let's do a quick update on Eclectic Media Project. So at this point, we are in the process of becoming an LLC. We are in the process of putting together ideas for the webcast or the the website and I, I think the third one is really we've got a meeting coming up here in a few weeks that we are going to sit down and talk about the website uh, and finalize the becoming a business kind of thing yeah and uh, we're gonna do it all official like yeah we're gonna we decided that uh, perhaps it's a better idea to be ahead of the game than behind the game and I don't know so much for Scott and Lou but for me it's Basically because I've done a business before, and I was behind the ball, and it sucks. And it's very expensive. Yes. If you do it right, it's still expensive, but not quite as expensive. And also, kind of keep an eye out there. We may be doing some crowdfunding to help us get our get our feet under us. We will definitely do updates on those if we actually get around to doing those. But it's an idea that's running and running around. So... Thank everybody for listening. If you like this episode, any other episode, there's a few ways you can tell us. Uh, you can email us at eclecticmediaproject at gmail.com or at want to hear something interesting at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at POI Network. And I've got a feeling that there will be a Facebook page coming along here relatively soon for Eclectic Media Project as well. But as long as we are on the POI Network, we will continue to... Uh, you know, let you guys know about that. And with that, I want to say thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next month. Adios. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at 
POI Game Studio.